All right, thank you, Lisa. That was uh, the missions director of New Philadelphia Church. Uh, she's just leading a powerful time of prayer. I feel like we should just go outside and just run around right now. <laughs> the praise and the prayer time just like, just, you know, just pump me up. Uh, my name is Christian. Uh, my wife and I, we're the lead pastors of New Philadelphia Church. Uh, joint prayer meeting is a monthly prayer meeting we host. Uh, New Philly hosts uh, each month where we uh, gather and invite uh, people from different churches to come and to just pray together in one heart, one voice uh, for Korea's revival and for Korea's reunification. We've been gathering uh, for six years now, since November of 2008. Uh, And so it's been uh, a long time coming praying, but we are praying always from a place of hope. Uh, as we begin in praise, you know, what's amazing about praise is it really lifts us up to that place where uh, we're able to pray, not from a place of despair and just looking at all the negativity and the uh, darkness, but to pray from a place uh, of, of height, a place of hope, a place where we know that uh, Jesus reigns and he's continually advancing that kingdom uh, all over the earth and that kingdom will know no end. Uh, so thanks for coming out and praying with us tonight. Tonight we have a guest speaker. Uh, he is, um, he was the former lead pastor for Onuri's English ministry. Onuri is a, a big church here in Korea. Uh, and he was the English ministry lead pastor there for several years. Uh, actually, when I first came to Korea in 2005, I went to an Onuri service and he was speaking uh, at that service because he was the lead pastor back then. So he was here for many years. Uh, and then around 2006, he moved back to Chicago. And he was doing ministry in Chicago. And most recently, this past year, he moved back to Korea because he really felt like God was uh, calling him back to Korea uh, to uh, really get involved with what God's doing at this hour. Uh, and he was the director for the GKIM conference, the Global Kingdom Young Adult Missions Movement Conference. Uh, uh, New Philly and uh, a bunch of uh, English Ministries and Torch was able to be a part of that last December. Uh, he was the director for that conference. And uh, right now he is just ministering at different churches. And he is uh, waiting to see how the Lord will move next uh, in regards to his calling. And so he's here tonight to uh, deliver the word for us. Uh, he's originally from Illinois. Uh, he has three licenses. Uh, he has a ministry license. He has a driver's license. And he's definitely got a license for those guns he'd be carrying. Uh, All right. Well, don't take my word for it. You're going to see those guns right now. Uh, Everyone, Pastor Leo Ree. Pastor Leo Ree. How much time do I got? <laughs> the beach is that way. <laughs> I feel like I'm in youth group. 
Uh, so I'm so honored to be here uh, tonight, and, and every time I come to uh, uh, join prayer meeting, I'm just so encouraged and so inspired, and I just see how God is working in this country, and, and God brought me back here, you know, three months ago, and I've, we've been going back and forth, uh, my wife and I, for the past two years. I don't know why we're here, uh, to be honest. Um, God just said, go to Korea, and, and uh, we just packed up our bags. You know, uh, we came here two years ago. First time I came to Korea, I came on vacation. Uh, this was two, uh, 1999, and... Korea has a way of just sucking you in. You know, how many of you guys, you know, know that, you know, you signed this contract for one year and then, yeah, right, you know, and you're here 10 years already, you know, you're like, what happened, you know? And, and that's what, that's what Korea does to you, just sucks you in. But I think it's God, you know, it's more, more than just Korea sucking you in. It's just God, how, how God brings people here and, and, you know, he, he, he's gotta suck you in in the first place, right? Because you're like, Korea, you know, I'm only going to six months or whatever, a year. And then, and then, you know, I, I ended up staying seven years. <laughs> and then I don't know what, and so we visited in, uh, 2000, 2012, end of 2012, we said we'll come here for three weeks and just kind of hang out for a bit, get some rest, and, uh, and end up being uh, almost two years uh, going, going back and forth. I'm kind of scared about what, what, uh, what God is doing. I know a lot of you guys are from different churches, so uh, just take about next 40 seconds or so, turn to somebody that you don't know, that you've never met before, uh, shake a hand, introduce yourselves. Could you do that? Uh, maybe somebody, somebody that you don't know, okay? Uh, just reach out to somebody to say a quick hello to the person next to you. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, for those of you guys who come every month, uh, for those of you guys who are here for the first time, just so glad that you're here and that we're contending for this nation and for the world. Uh, let's pray together. We'll get, jump right into it. God, thank you for our time together. I pray that as we look into your word today, that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds and inspire us to greater things. Father, thank you for this time. We pray that our hearts would be open to you and be obedient to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Our scripture reading tonight comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 5. It's a very short passage. Uh, I have it on the screen for you. You guys don't have to turn, it, uh, turn, uh, turn to it. But uh, let me just read it for us. And uh, it's Paul's words to Timothy. When he writes to Timothy, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. And Timothy, as, we're gonna, as we see here in this passage, was actually the first third-generation Christian in the Bible. Um, this faith was passed down to him from his grandmother. And in this very important juncture in history, God has brought many of you here to Korea. And as I visit many of your churches, and share, I've shared in the past few years extensively about the key role of this nation, that this nation has to play in terms of the greater picture and the greater mosaic of what God is doing in the world uh, and, and seeing the gospel preached to the ends of the earth. And so this evening, instead of thinking about the future and how God is going to use this nation in the future and how God is gonna, uh, what God is going to be doing in the future, I I want us to take a look back at our heritage in this nation. 
As we pray, as we contend for this country, as we pray for Korea, I want to take a look back at the greater context of the spiritual inheritance, that the spiritual heritage that, ha- that we have now inherited that has been passed down to us, just like this faith that has been passed down to Timothy. And so when we look at this passage, um, you know, when, we, when we look at the uh, history of Christianity, you know, Christianity was first introduced to Korea in about 1600. Uh, when Catholic missionaries were, first, were the first to arrive, uh, in 1800 they started coming in droves, and there was great persecution, and most of them were martyred. You, got, you could actually visit here in Seoul the Martyrs Museum, the Martyrs Cemetery, uh, just north of here. And um, it still exists today. And so three big names that we need to remember, three forefathers of faith in this nation that we, uh, we need to think about. Spiritual pioneers, our, our forerunners, trailblazers that left everything back in their home countries and came here. Uh, uh, three, three people I want to introduce you to you, uh, as we get into our, our talk for tonight. Okay, the first person is Horace Allen. Everyone say Horace Allen. Okay, this is a name that we need to remember. If you go to the next slide, please. Yeah, Horace Allen was an American Presbyterian medical missionary, landed in Pyongyang in uh, 1884. And soon after he landed, there was a military coup attempt, and the queen's nephew actually was severely injured. And so Horace Allen was actually a, a medical doctor, and he uh, healed, he brought uh, healing, he, he healed and, and uh, um, uh, he, he took care of um, the, the queen's nephew using Western medicine. And so and by doing this, God showed him incredible favor, and, um, uh, and the queen really liked him, and so he, she gave him land and money to start a hospital. And so he um, uh, started this medical school as well. Uh, actually, if you go to the next slide, please. And so he started this, uh, he started this hospital, okay? And in 1900, a man named Louis Severance funded money for a new building. And th- that would later become, next slide, please. That would later, oh, there's actually a Korean drama based on, you know, Horace Allen. I, I, I've never seen it, but as I was doing research, they're like, the Korean, Korean drama, they'll make a Korean drama based on anything, you know. And so they, they made this whole Korean drama based on the legacy of Horace Allen. And so this man named Louis Severance funded money for this new, new building for a hospital, and it would later become Severance Hospital here in Shincheon, uh, still standing here. One year later, another man, uh, two other men, Horace Underwood. Everyone say Horace Underwood. Okay. There's, so there's two Horaces. Just keep that in mind. Okay. There's Horace Allen, Horace Underwood. Another man named Henry Appenzeller. Say Henry, Henry Appenzeller. Okay. They were respectively Presbyterian and Methodist missionaries. Okay. Until now, you know, uh, foreign missionaries were closed off to Korea. Nothing could happen. And then the queen you know, had this, uh, found favor in, in, in this doctor. And so they, they slowly opened. A year later, after Horace Allen, they would arrive at Incheon. Uh, I was about to say Incheon Airport, but there was no airport. <laughs> Incheon Port with their wives on Easter Sunday, 1885. Okay, 1886, they translated and published the book, uh, the book of Luke, baptized their first convert, and the following year, uh, seven more. Okay, so this is within the uh, time of year. No Bible, no gospel, no nothing in Korea. They came uh, and and produced the first New Testament in 1900 and the first Old Testament in 1910. Okay, if you go to the next slide, please. Um, Horace Underwood married a doctor, uh, Lillius Horton, who became the doctor to the queen. Okay? And prior to her murder by Japanese assassins, uh, he, the, the wife took care of her. Okay? And so he actually loved the Korean people. He hated the Korean food. 
You know, but, but he loved the Korean people. He actually dressed up like Koreans because he wanted to become like that. He actually even took on a Korean name. Uh, one Do One was his Korean name. Horace Underwood took on this Korean name, One Do One. Later, uh, he founded Joseon Christian College, 1915. Okay? This is um, before any school. Even women weren't allowed to go to school. Uh, just a few elite men were, were, were allowed to go to school. This was, this was like, this was like um, uh, really frontier kind of work. That was being done in Korea. Okay? Um, so he founded this Christian university, Christian college, renamed Yoni University, Yoni College two years later, which would later go on to become Yonsei University, standing here in Shincheon. Uh-huh. Uh, still, when you go to Yonsei University today, there's buildings and statues in honor of him. Uh, in 1916, Underwood would return to the U.S. in ill health, and a year later, he would pass away in the States. Okay? Henry Appenzeller was a born leader. If you go to the next slide, please. He was an incredible, uh, incredible uh, man of God. He founded the Bible uh, Society, the Literature Society, and the Soul Union Club, which actually still stands today at the base of Namsan. If you've ever been to the Soul Club, that's, uh, that's something that he founded almost 100 years ago. Um, so, uh, in 1902, he actually drowned in a boat accident, a boat collision, near a city called Mokpo. I'm going to talk about the city called, in, called Mokpo. Anyone ever, anyone ever been to Mokpo? Okay, a couple of you guys, a few of you guys, great. Uh, Mokpo has a spiritual heritage that shocked me. I was there, uh, about a month ago, speaking at a conference, and I was just amazed at what God, what God was doing in Mokpo. Uh, small, little, small little city, but he, he got into a boat accident. Tried, he was trying to save this little girl, and um, in the process, he drowned, and he died. His, uh, his uh, tomb is actually still uh, in Yang Wajin's uh, missionary cemetery just north of here. You could actually visit it. You know? take, a, take, a, take a day. Visit the cemetery. It, it'll, it'll just uh, really feed your soul. And so, what, what, what is this, you know, um, as, as, as we study this whole Christian miracle, this whole Korean miracle, there's been so much study done into why and how Christianity succeeded in Korea. Uh, when, when we do a lot of different studies, we compare against Japan and China and all these different nations. Why did the gospel spread so quickly in Korea? Um, you know, we could talk about a lot of different things. We could talk about their emphasis on indigenous leadership, on, on self-governing churches, self-supporting churches, and all this kind of stuff that a lot of mission scholars uh, talk about. But tonight, I want to look at three different aspects that all have relevance to us today. Why the missions movement, why the gospel uh, message spreads so quickly and so rapidly here in Korea. Why did Korea succeed? Why did missionaries succeed? And as I do this, I want to kind of give you a, a little bit of context in terms of what we're doing here. You know, instead of just being here and working and doing, we, we're part of a greater mosaic and a greater picture of what God is doing here in Korea. Okay? And I want you to be part of, I want you to see yourselves as part of that. This inheritance, this heritage that's being handed down to you. And now you're given the torch and now you're asked to carry this torch on. Okay? And so a couple of things, that are, three things that I'll be sharing. Um, first of all, the first thing that happened was that these early missionaries, these forefathers, these pioneers, had a passion for the gospel. Okay? They had an incredible passion for the gospel. The early missionaries came believing that the gospel could not only change a person, but that it could change a nation. It was this uh, passion to see the gospel spread throughout this peninsula. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. Everyone say good news. It's the gospel, that the good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son Jesus to die as a substitute for our sins. 
Anyone in a moment, in an instant, when they believe, when they trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that he lived the life that I should have lived and died the death that I should have died, he becomes a Christian. That's amazing news. There's a difference between good advice, which most religions will tell you about, and good news, an event that actually happened in history. Anyone who repents and believes in an instant has eternal life with him. God has suffered the full wrath for my sin. He doesn't count it against me anymore. Jesus Christ traded places with me, living the life that I should have lived, dying the death that I should have died. This is the nuclear power core of everything that we believe in. The early missionaries understood this. He took my shameful nakedness to clothe me with his righteousness. That means that it is impossible for God to love me any more or any less than he already does. God's love is eternal. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's unchanging. It's immovable. It's impossible for him to love me any more or any less than he does now. My identity and my security are not in my spiritual progress, how well I do. It's not in my performance. But my identity and security are in God's acceptance of me, given as a gift in Christ. This is where you guys say amen. Amen. (laughs) Romans chapter 5 says that while we were yet weak, while we were powerless, while we were yet sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for me. That's the good news. That's what transforms people. And Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation. Uh, he says in First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5 that the gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. In so many of our churches today, we no longer experience that power because we're no longer preaching the gospel. The gospel isn't just the ABCs to Christian life. It's not just the 101 in, in, in the introduction into Christian life. I already knew that. I already believed that when I believed. Now let's go on to other things. It's the power core of everything that we believe. It's the ABCs, the XYZs, and everything in between. We need the gospel to infiltrate every part of our hearts. And a lot of people are leaving the churches because they're being preached and taught religion. And they don't see the power of the gospel. For some of you young pastors, if your sermon could be preached in a Jewish synagogue or a Muslim mosque somewhere, you're not preaching the gospel. I want to challenge you. Preach the gospel. That's what transforms us. That has the power to, to bring a difference in our hearts and our lives. And when you look at the history of revivals all throughout from the beginning of, the, of, of time, When you look at the history of revivals and major revival movements in history, at the heart of every revival movement, there was an embrace and a love and a going back to the gospel. No major revival movement in history began because of a new program or the latest fad or, or the newest worship song. It was all birthed out of a holy reverence for a deeper understanding and embrace of the gospel. People understood their sin. People were broken by their sin. They saw the hopelessness. They saw the desperation. They saw that there was nowhere else they could turn to except to the Lord and His good news and His provision and His grace. And when you look at the history of Korea, although there are many smaller revival movements, uh, history actually points to three different waves of revivals in Korean history. I want to just share about that uh, real quickly. Uh, Pastor Lisa mentioned a moment ago about the Pyongyang revival in 1907. 
Okay? That was the first major wave of revival that happened in Korea. Okay? The roots uh, started in the 1903 Wonsan revival. Um, it was originally supposed to be, if you go to the next slide, please. It was originally supposed to be a 10-day Bible training meeting in Pyongyang. Uh, there was a teaching on evangelism and preaching the gospel. Okay? And according to missionary reports, on January 14, 1907, 1,500 men, okay, there was no room for the women, but 1,500 men gathered for an evening session. And during the prayer time, the whole audience began to pray in unison, bursting out into a roar of prayer, mostly repentance of sin. Okay? And some of the foreign pastors, you know, there were foreign pastors, foreign missionaries that were there. Things were going crazy, you know. Missionaries had to control everything, right? So, so they try to calm them down. Stop, 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 stop. They were going around trying to calm everybody down. This is outrageous. This is, this is a kind of borderline heresy. We got to stop all this crying out and praying, you know? And so they were trying to stop, but they couldn't help themselves. And, you know, in, in Korea, you know, if you guys have been to Korean churches, they pray Tongsong prayer, you know, where everyone prays together at one time. This is where this was birthed. You know, this is where when, when they say, you know, I go to different uh, parts of the world and people say, let's pray Korean style. And I ask them, what's Korean style? And they say, you know, when it's really scary and everybody prays and shouts out loud at the same time. Let's pray Korean style. It was birthed in this 1907 Pyongyang revival where they all started just praying together in one voice, in one heart, one unison. And missionary William Blair was there. He writes this from the original source. He writes, sometimes after confession, uh, he says, the whole audience would break out into audio, audio, audible prayer. And the effect of that audience of hundreds of men praying together in audible prayer was something indescribable. Again, after confession, they would break into uncontrollable weeping. And they would weep all, we would weep all together. We couldn't help it. And so the meeting went on until 2 a.m. with confession and weeping and praying. And we had prayed to God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the people and it had, it had come. That's what he writes in his journal. I've been, I've been very blessed to be part of different uh, smaller revival movements. And when you, look at different revi- when you look at revivals, you think that it's something cool, something awesome. But actually when you look at revivals, when, when I think about the revivals that I've been part of, revivals are very ugly. There's a lot of weeping, a lot of brokenness, a lot of, a lot of coming out, you know. It's very ugly. But there's something about that. When we realize the sinfulness of our hearts and God, God shows us and reveals us how dark and desperate we really are. And so as a result, leaders from here went into other parts of the country and they led similar revival meetings and the fire of the Holy Spirit spread into other parts of the nation brought about by this powerful zeal for the gospel and this explosive growth in the church. 1907, 1907 revival. Quick story. You know, September 1866, if you go to the next slide, please. Reverend Robert J. Thomas was the first recorded Protestant martyr here in Korea. His ship was attacked just outside of Pyongyang. And as his ship was sinking with all of his clothes on fire, he leaped overboard carrying as many Bibles as he could. And uh, uh, he waded to shore and frantically he tried to give out these Bibles. And all these soldiers started chasing after him. All the townspeople came out and they started to attack him with their pitchforks and their knives and their swords and all this kind of stuff. And here he is trying to give out these Bibles. The last desperate attempt, last desperate ditch, uh, attempt to give out these Bibles. And the guy who killed Thomas grabbed the last Bible. 
grabbed the Bible, and as he died, Thomas is claimed to have uh, cried out, is reported to have cried out, Jesus, Jesus, and he passed away. And so Thomas's executioner used the pages from the Bible actually as wallpaper for his house. He tore off the pages, put them all over his house, put them on his ceiling, and, you know, um, and one day he was reading the classical Chinese lettering, and somehow the Holy Spirit touched him as he was reading his wallpaper, and he was converted just from reading the Bible. And during the Pyongyang revival, in these series of meetings, an old man named Chu Won Park stood up during the time of public confession, and he goes up to the front, and he confessed before 1,500 people, I was the man who killed this missionary. He made this confession. And so three years after the beginning of the 1907 Pyongyang Great Revival, in August 1910, Korea was annexed by Japan. And suddenly, almost immediately, um, this fire in Korea that was sp- started to spread was quenched. Okay. Um, and Japan started uh, the beginning of organized persecution of Christians, uh, quenched this fire that had started. And there were two, I'll just mention it very quickly, there were two other uh, major revival movements in Korean history. Revivals that happened during the Japanese occupation in the 30s and 40s. Uh, during the Japanese occupation in the 1930s, uh, the church made a stand against Japanese idolatry, and they refused to bow down to Shintoism. I actually have a friend uh, who is the grandson of a very famous pastor named Ju Gi Chul. Okay, if you go to the next slide, please. Um, my friend Charlie is actually the grandson. He tells me stories about him. And he was uh, persecuted. He eventually died. If you talk to any Korean, this man, Ju Gi Chul Moksanim, uh, is like the hero of Christianity. He's like the super superhero of, 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 of the church. Okay? And everybody will know he was killed for his faith. There's movies about him. Uh, you know, I remember as a little kid going, being forced to go to church and, and seeing this guy like, walk on a bed of nails and being whipped and uh, all this stuff like, you know, uh, being done to him. Uh, executed. And um, you know, this was the uh, 30s and 40s. By 1945, actually, Korea was only about 2% Christian. 1945, uh, only about 2% Christian. The real spread of the gospel and the church came actually in the 60s and 70s. And for a lot of your, you know, a lot of you who come from a Korean background, a lot of your parents' faith came was birthed during the revivals of the 60s and 70s. Okay. And so in the 60s and 70s, um, actually, I wrote my whole THM paper. Uh, I, I, I did my another uh, master's degree, THM degree at, at the Presbyterian Seminary here in Korea, but. Um, after the war, the economy, as the economy grew, um, as things started to happen, uh, the, the church started to spread. And the gospel started to spread once again. Okay? And so uh, things started to happen in Korea, 60s and 70s. You know, there was a lot of immigration taking place, and, and uh, people went all over the world. Yeah, anywhere you go, the, you know, Chinese people will plant a uh, restaurant, Korean people will plant a church. And so all over the world, you know, this, this, <laughs> things were happening. Um, Important date to remember is June 3rd, 1973 on Yoido Island. If you go to the next slide, please. On Yoido Island, some of you guys might remember the historic five-day Billy Graham crusade. 1.1 million Koreans came out to Yoido and had this incredible crusade where, where, where thousands and thousands of people came to know Christ as Lord and Savior for the first time. Okay? So these things were happening. A lot of things were happening with, uh, with different campus groups, or campus meetings and college campuses and, and things like that. And so the gospel was central to everything that was happening. In, this, uh, in the history of Korean revivals. Okay? The second thing I want to look at 
uh, is that, is, is, if you go to the next slide, please. The second thing I want to look at is that the early missionaries had a one-church mentality. Yeah, they had this one-church mentality. Uh, they had this unity. They, had, they shared this kingdom mindset. And there was a strong sense of partnership amongst the workers. Okay? There was unity of working and working together. And, you know, these foreign missionaries actually came together. They sat down and they mapped out where we should do uh, ministry, where, we, where different denominations and different Christian groups would actually go. Okay? And so they met, actually, even today in Korea, if you go to certain areas, there are places where Methodism is very strong, where Presbyterianism is very strong, where, where Baptists are, are, a lot of churches are Baptists. Because the early missionaries came together and they decided to work together. Okay? Um, a lot to share about this, but let me just keep it simple. Uh, God loves unity. God loves meetings like this, where people from different churches, beyond, beyond the church name or whatever, you know, we're, I'm, I'm so tired of so many churches building their own little empires, you know, building their own little kingdoms for themselves, and, and trying to, this, this unspoken competition between churches. God loves unity. And, and in Psalm chapter 133, um, the psalmist says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. I believe that in this day and age, that the, the day of the, uh, the denomination is gone. The day of my church, your church, is gone. We need to break down these walls and see the bigger picture. If we want to see unity happen between South and North Korea, we have to start with the church. I think we have to start preparing for the opening of North Korea by seeing unity happen in the church. I mean, I, I've shared this before. I'm so glad that North Korea didn't open tomorrow because the church would be a mess. They would look at the church and they'd be like, what's going on? What's all this fighting? What's all these division? I think God is preparing for one church to go into North Korea. We need to be prepared. God loves this kind of meetings. And, and um, you know, I, even for JPM, I think this needs to be a, a, a meeting for all different churches to come together. You know, it's, it's not a, it's not an ordinary thing. It's not a new Philly thing, even though they host it. You know, it's, it's, it's all these different churches working together, contending for God's kingdom. There's something powerful about unity because in John chapter 17, you know, if you think about it, the prayer that Jesus prayed was for unity. Jesus prayed for unity. He prayed, you know, I pray for those who will, who will believe that's, he's praying for us. I pray for those who will, be, will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one Father just as you and me and I in them and uh, just, just as you are in me and I am in you. Okay? That's a powerful prayer. Imagine God hears that prayer. He hears the prayer of His Son, sends His Holy Spirit and I believe the, the work of the Holy Spirit is bringing unity to churches and to events like this. Okay? Um. We're not just connected to one another, but we're also connected and unified to men and women who have gone before us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, there are a cloud of witnesses even watching over us now. Men and women of faith who have gone before us, who have already run this race with, race with fervor. We belong to a tremendous spiritual heritage. And we're not alone in this long line of spiritual descendants. I want you to keep that in mind. That we're a small part of a greater mosaic of what God is doing. And so, a few weeks ago, like I said, I had an opportunity to visit this small little city called Mokpo. Okay? Um, this is where Appenzeller died. 
Okay, if you go to the next slide, please. It's actually at the very, uh, very, very tip of, of the peninsula. Okay? It used to be the main port in Korea before, uh, during the Japanese occupation because that's where they would transport all the troops and all the supplies and all, all this kind of stuff. They would go back and forth between Japan uh, and, and, and Mokpo, the small little city. Uh, in the South Korea, this is actually bigger than Incheon and Busan. Okay? And then uh, after Busan became a major port, uh, Mokpo actually kind of died out. And so, um, let me see. In 1897, a missionary named Eugene Bell, 26 years old, brought his newly wed wife to Korea. Okay? Eugene Bell. Have any of you guys ever heard of Eugene Bell? Anybody? Okay, if you got, some of you guys know about the Eugene Bell Foundation and things like that. Eugene Bell comes to Korea, uh, plants a church called Yangdong Church. I actually visited there uh, when I was there. Fourth largest, fourth, fourth oldest church in Korea. So he comes to Korea, uh, has two kids in Korea, and in the first year, actually he brought his two kids over as well. In the first year, his wife Ruthie dies. Passes away. He later gets remarried. His second wife also dies in Korea. He writes a letter home saying how dark Korea was. He says he doesn't like the taste of Korean food. Rice has no taste. But he decided to eat Korean food to make friends with Korean people. Um, he, sa- he wrote home saying there's no hope for the nation except the gospel. There's no hope for the nation except the gospel. This is uh, Eugene Bell. Missionary to Korea, 1897, 26 years old. Can you imagine? I mean, what were you doing at 26? Some of you guys are like, um, I'm not 26 yet. But. <laughs> Man, at 26, I was just thinking about like, girls and, and stuff. And then and here he is, committing his life to come to Korea. And so he, has, he makes a disciple. And if you go to the next slide, please. He has a disciple named uh, Yun Chi Ho. Okay, who marries a Japanese woman. Okay, they also have a kid. And they, if you go to the next slide, please. They start an orphanage ministry. Okay? The orphanage, at one point, had over 3,000 kids. Okay? And uh, I could go so much into their lives and what they've done. I mean, they're, they're like hero, folk heroes of the Korean, the Korean church. And, 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 and all the ministry they did, 3,000 kids. You know, and so, uh, they did this for many, many years. Later on, the, uh, the pastor was accused of uh, siding with the communists, and he was killed. But his wife carried on the ministry. Okay? And, uh, uh, th- and I don't have time to make all the connections, but one of the fruit of this ministry, years down the road, was a man by the name of Jun Gun Kim. Okay, if you go to the next slide, please. And he was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ in Korea. Okay? For some of you guys who go to New Philly, this has special meaning upon you because Pastor Christian is a product of that ministry. Okay. Um, Pastor Kim was an incredible man. His, uh, during the Korean War, his parents, his wife, his kids were all killed during the war. He's beaten and left for dead. They think that he's dead, but he protects his one daughter, and she survives as well. 1957, he attended Fuller Seminary, collaborated with Bill Bright, and came back with this vision for Campus Crusade for Christ in Korea. Okay? Later on, he goes on to find this communist who killed off his family. They meet face-to-face. He evangelizes to him, forgives him. They pray together. He accepts Christ as Lord and Savior. 
And he started bringing all of his communist friends to him. They start a church, becomes one of the biggest churches in Korea. Um, this has personal meaning for me as well because Pastor Kim also has a disciple, and if you go to the next slide, please, named Ha Young Jo. Okay? He was the founding pastor of Onuri Church, and he's my spiritual mentor. Okay? In some weird, warped kind of way, that means that Pastor Christian is my uncle. And so if you look at the bigger picture, it's all kind of connected through Mokpo. And Pastor Han often used to mention Mokpo and his life there. He was actually ordained in the city of Mokpo. We have a connection not only with churches and ministries all around us, but also a heritage and a line of so many people who have walked this horrendous race before us. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The third thing that we could see in the, early, in, the, in the vision and the lives of the early missionaries, was that they had an impact and an influence on the culture. Okay? They got involved. They made a difference. Okay? Actually, I was going to be talking, uh, originally I was praying about what to share tonight, and I wanted to share about the theology of the city and why the city is so important. And as I started getting into the history of Seoul and stuff like that, God kind of uh, tweaked my heart a little bit to, to talk on this topic, because especially as we're praying for and contending for Korea, uh, I felt like many of you guys needed a little bit of background of what uh, Korea had gone through. Okay? And so in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, this is, talk, this is during the um, Babylonian exile when the Israelites are in Babylon. Okay? And God says to them also, he says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What this is saying is that when you go into the city, when you go to Babylon, don't just meet amongst yourselves. Don't just have your own meetings. Don't just do things for yourselves and be selfish and, and try to gain as much as you can and try to, try to weed out as much as you can for your own personal gain. He says, go into the city, be part of it, make sons and daughters, and bless the city. Make it a better place. Don't just try to suck out all the things that you could gain from the city. Don't just try to suck out all the resources. But go into the city and make a difference. And so, um, when, when, uh, when, when you look at this passage, that's what he's uh, telling the, uh, the Israelites in Babylon. These exiles. And when you look at the lives of early missionaries, they built schools and hospitals, and they got involved in politics. They got their hands dirty. They cared for the poor and the widows and the orphans. Um, and even for unbelievers, you know, they, they showed radical generosity. In a time when the government system didn't have social welfare, per, welfare programs, the missionaries came in. They took care of the poor and the lost, and they took, they took care of, of, of people. Okay. When you look at the history of Christianity, um, why did Christianity succeed in Rome? Why did Christianity start from 68% of the empire, and it grew to almost 50% overnight? How did it grow like that? Well, when you look at, when you study sociologists and historians, um, they offer this reason. There were two big plagues that swept through the Roman Empire in the first couple centuries after Christ, okay? Uh, in 165 AD and another one in 251 AD. Both lasted about 15 years. We don't know exactly what this plague was. Uh, it was possibly smallpox or measles, but it was absolutely devastating, particularly in the cities because it spread so quickly. At the height of the plague, um, at the height of the second plague, 5,000 people died a day. It's about 35,000 people a week. 
Rome was no more than a million people, so about 20 to 30 percent of Rome was absolutely wiped out. So, like I said, we don't know much about the disease, but we did know that it was spread through contact, and even the doctors retreated. They went, they they ran away. People were leaving the cities. They abandoned their family members. Rich people moved out of the cities. Doctors moved in, moved out to save their own lives. But when you look at history, the Christians stayed. They stayed behind. They stayed in their cities. They cared for their sick and and the uh, the sick of others. And a lot of Christians died as a result. But many others were saved as a result as well. And so when you look at the early missionaries here in Korea... They had an incredible influence because they changed the culture. They impacted the society. Many of you guys probably have studied in the past um, the seven mountains of, of influence. Have you guys heard about that? If you go to the next slide, please. There's, uh, there's this thing called the seven mountains of influence. I don't have time to go into all of that right now. But we, uh, just as a challenge to all of us that we need to get involved in every sphere of culture, whether it be education or government or entertainment or, or, or religion or whatever it might be, okay? that these are seven spheres that we need to get involved in. That we need to do our part to redeem these different spheres. Just as a personal challenge, recently you know, I've been asked to preach a lot more at Korean meetings. It's like comedy hour. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> but I've been asked to speak. At, and so I've been challenged more and more to improve my Korean. You know, my Korean's like, like, I learned most of my Korean from my wife. So, so I talk like a girl sometimes. Well, could can I? You know? <laughs> So it's terrible. And she talks like a guy when she speaks English, you know. Yo, man. I don't know. It's, it's kind of messed up. So when I speak at these Korean, the last Korean church that I spoke at, they said that I have the anointing of cute. I don't know what that means. <laughs> the anointing of cute. I don't want the anointing of cute. I just... Ah. But, you know, when you look at the life of Paul, he spoke multiple languages. Um, he, man, I'm, I'm just so challenged by the apostle. Um, in Acts chapter 21, he addressed the Roman soldiers, it says, in Greek. And then, he, and then they were so shocked that he spoke Greek that he gives an op- they give him an opportunity to speak to the crowds. And suddenly he turns into Aramaic and starts speaking to the crowds in Aramaic. Man, just as a personal challenge to myself, man, if I could, if I could improve my Korean... I, the wider audience that I have, you know, the wider people, the, the, the greater range of people that I could, you know, reach out to. In 1907, Pyongyang was known to be a city of wine, women, and song. That's what they wrote about, okay, the early missionaries. It was a dark city abounding uh, in, in, in sin. Okay, they had actually a geisha training school in the city. Um, in, 1900s, uh, in the 1900s, women weren't allowed to go to school. When the missionaries came, they planted schools. They planted, they planted orphanages. They, they made opportunities for people. They made a difference. They got involved in the lives of people. Eating the Korean food, dressing like Korean people. They weren't like, we're these Western missionaries. We're going to live in our nice houses and, and you guys stay away. But they got their hands dirty. You notice in the Bible that Jesus' miracles were always intended to bring about restoration. If you wanted to prove that you were the son of the living God, what, what kind of miracles would you do? I would, you know, I would think, you know, I would make a fireball. I'm the son of God. I would levitate, you know, into the, you know or make people levitate. Look, I'm, I'm God. You know. But, you know, um, 
Miracles were Jesus' miracles were always about restoring the natural order. Sick people were healed. Something wasn't right. And he restored it to wholeness. Hungry people were fed. They were hungry, so so he had to perform a miracle to heal them, to to, to feed them. Dead people were raised to life. Death isn't natural, isn't a natural thing. In this, uh, it wasn't meant to be a natural thing. Things that shouldn't have been, he made whole again. And Jesus said, we would do greater works than he did. And I'm talking about the little miracles that we can do every day. Little things that we could do in reaching out, loving upon people, changing this culture. For those of you guys who are educators, those of you guys who are working in schools and and hagwans, the relationships that you build through the years, the relationships that you build with some of the students, the relationships that you build with even some of the teachers that are there. I believe that in this day and age, God is shaking Korea. I look at the Sewol ferry accident, and I think that that was a tremendous move. I mean, it was... was, it was uh, obviously detrimental, but it was a tremendous move of God. I want to end our time with, uh, some of you guys might know the story of the life of uh, Ruby Kendrick. Um, I want to share about the life of Ruby Kendrick, and then we're going to take some time to pray. Okay? So just uh, prepare, uh, prepare your hearts, start getting ready. Ruby Kendrick was a missionary who in 1907 came to Korea at the young age of 25. One year later, she caught a disease and she died. Um, Ruby Kendrick was born in, in, in Texas. Um, she graduated from high school and uh, was interested in, in, in missionary work. And she was praying about where she should go for missions. She set sail to Korea on August 29, 1907. In Korea, she became a language teacher. Sound familiar? Uh, and a Sunday school teacher. Less than a year later, June 20th, 1908, uh, Ruby died of appendicitis at Severance Hospital in Seoul. Okay. At her request, she was buried in Korea. Go to the next slide, please. Her last words home were, and her grave is actually still here in Korea. You could visit her grave just south of here. Her last home's, words home, home, and it was inscripted on her tomb, were this. If I had a thousand lives, Korea should have them all. If I had a thousand lives, if I could live a thousand times, I would give them all to Korea. In her last letter home, just before passing away, she wrote the following words. And she writes to her mother and father, this land, Chosun, that, you know, back then it was called Chosun because Korea is the chosen Chosun people. Nah, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this land, Chosun. It's truly a beautiful land, she writes. They all resemble God. I see their good heart and their zeal for the gospel. And I believe that in a few years, it will be a land overflowing with the love of Christ. I witnessed children walking over 10 miles on barefoot to hear the gospel. And the love of God in them encourages me. She talks about the persecution also getting stronger. She talks about how her mother tried to keep her from going to missions, from going away. Uh, and she writes another uh, seed, and she writes about how, how, how um, you know, uh, her, the garden in her backyard must have grown so much by now. She says, another seed bears many flowers in the land of Chosun, and they will be seeds to other nations. This was a prophetic word, incredible for that time. 
Another seed bears many flowers in the land of Chosan, and they will be seeds to other nations. I will bury my heart in this land. I realize that this passion for Chosan that I have is not mine, but is God's passion towards Chosan. Mom, Dad, I love you. And at a memorial service held back home in Texas, uh, after the service, 12 young women volunteered to take her place here in Korea for this fallen missionary. And word spread of her sacrifice, and from all over the U.S., as reports spread of her uh, giving and her sacrifice and her life, many others gave their lives for the cause of missions, especially here to Korea. God's heart is for the nations. And as I think about the early forerunners who marched through this land in the early days of Christianity in this peninsula and ultimately gave their lives, their seeds have borne much fruit in this nation. Ruby's life might seem like a waste in the eyes of the world, but for her, but her heart for God and her passion for Korea still stirs the hearts of so many people in the world today. And I pray that our hearts too may be broken and poured out for this nation. No dream is too huge for God. Remember what God is doing in this nation. God loves Korea so much. I think about, uh, people always ask me, what's the best martial art in the world? I say Taekwondo because it's Korean. Because we got beat up by every country in the world. You know, and that's supposed to be funny. And, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and so we developed this martial art, you know, because we fought everybody. Because we got beat up by everybody. <laughs> Anyways, I, don't I don't know why I said that. I wrote in my notes, serious prayer time. So, yeah. <laughs> Mind it to myself. Uh, uh, <laughs> stop. Uh, in this time, in, this, in these times, in this season that we're in, we need to strategically pray and contend for a greater outpouring of revival in this land. Okay. Let's all stand together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Uh, this last song that uh, we're gonna, we, we sang uh, just during the, uh, the worship time, uh, Pastor John uh, didn't explain it, but actually this song was written in North Korea. Am I, am I right? It was, it was written in North Korea. Okay? This was a song that was written in North Korea. Just contending for this nation, contending for our hearts for this nation. What I want us to do is we sing this song, uh, just prepare our hearts as we enter into time of prayer this evening. There's a light, there's a light drawing me to build this place for your fears.